Tonight is a very special night. It's Purim Katam, which means that in a regular year, tonight would have actually been, actually been in Purim, um, which Purim in many ways is the happiest day of the year. But tonight is the first Purim, called Purim Katam, the small Purim, which we don't celebrate in any way like the big Purim, but we don't say Tachnam. Um, so it is uh, some level of Yom Tov, and in the end of... It's interesting that the Shulchan Aruch, the basic Shulchan Aruch that we all, uh, that Klal Yisrael goes by, is divided into four sections. The first section is called Eirach Chaim. Eirach Chaim goes through the basic daily life and Shabbos and Yom Tov of Yid. And the very, very last halacha in Eirach Chaim is the halacha about Purim Katan. Because the entire Shulchan Aruch of Eirach Chaim finishes with Purim Katan. And it finishes with an amazing statement. And that is... The, um, the, the Shulchan Aruch is written by Rabbi Yosef Cairo with comments by the Ramar, Moshe Isserlis, who's the Rav of Krakow some 500 years ago. So the uh, last words are from the Ramah, and he says that there's question, there's a, a halachic question, if one should have extra su'uda on Purim Katan. Should one, should one uh, celebrate and rejoice on Purim Katan? And he says, though that question is not resolved, he finishes with a pasuk from Mishle, Toiv Lev Mishta Tamid. The one who has a good heart, runs a glad heart, is always ready to, to have a celebration. As if there's a shayla, yes, celebrate, not celebrate. <coughs> and with that, he finishes the Shulchan Aruch. That's an amazing concept. The Shulchan Aruch finishes with this pasuk of Toiv Lev Mishta Tamid. You know, some people accuse the Hasidim of always wanting to fabrink, but it's really the Shulchan Aruch that finishes with that statement. And the Rebbe pointed out once in a Purim Katan Fabrengin, he says that the Shulchan Aruch starts with the word Tamid and ends with the word Tamid. It starts with the Pasuk, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. I place Hashem before me always. And it finishes with the word Tamid, Toiv Lev Mishta Tamid. Starts with Tamid and ends with the Tamid. And these are the two constants that have to accompany every Yid every day. Shivisi uh, Hashem, excuse me, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid is the concept of Yerushimayim, that a person always remembers that Hashem is here. We're not alone, or Hashem is, uh, is watching me and Hashem is with me. So, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdisam is really the foundation of all Yiras Shemayim. And Toiv Lev Mishtetamid is the concept of Simcha. And these are the two constants. These are the constants that if a Yid is able to constantly be focused and constantly have the basic Yiras Hashem of Shivisi Hashem Lenegdisam, remembering that Hashem is always with me, watching over me. And at the same t- time to have the Simcha Shal Mitzvah, Toiv Lev Mishtetamid. Then a yid is set, and everything else in the middle is, is commentary. But that's uh, how the Rebbe explained the beginning and the end of Shulchan Aruch, the two tamids of a yid, the tamid of Yerushalayim, the tamid of Simcha, and then we have the entire middle of of, uh, of living b'Simcha with the mitzvahs of Hashem and making our whole, all of our days days of kedusha, days of Simcha, days of Yerushalayim. So that's the idea connected to Purim Katan, which is tonight, and it's definitely in the whole Chaydish other is a time of Simcha. And Purim and, and Purim and Purim Katan is definitely a time of Simcha, tremendous Simcha. Hashem should give the ability to every year to truly be Simcha by first and foremost giving everyone the Yeshuas that they need and some of the Yeshuas that were mentioned here before and that everyone needs and everyone knows everyone personally and for all of us, Klal Yisrael collectively with the big issue of Mashiach Sidkenu that we're waiting for and Mr. Hashem should come already. Okay, let's, uh, let's come to our Navi here. We are holding in Sefer Malachim Aleph and we're at the beginning of Perak Tess, chapter 9. Chapter 9. Rabbi Silverberg, are you recording? I am, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm not recording on the on the computer. I'm recording on my phone. That's how I always record. So it's uh, being recorded. Um, Can I just ask a quick question from last week? You said about the... that um, Shlomo HaMelech 
um, there's that pasuk that we say before Shir Shalyom on weekdays. Right, right, right. So I wondered why we don't say it on Right, 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 right. You sent me that question. And the answer is that that's part of Tachnun. And Tachnun are supplications, requests of Hashem. In general, Shabbos is not a time for supplication, for request. Um, it seemed to be a time where we just connect to Hashem just for the sake of connecting and just having that relationship. Um, and there, there's, there's a lot of brachas. Even the whole middle of Shemona Esrei we don't say on Shabbos, right? All of the bakashos. So in general, tachnun, together with um, confessions and requests and supplication, is typically not said on Shabbos, right? Okay, that's what I thought. I just thought it was such an important... No, it's, it's, a, it's a, important such, a, such a beautiful... Right. I, I have to say that since... Uh, since we learned it together last week, when I said that those psukim and davening, they were more meaningful to me every day. It's just, uh, yes, you know, it somehow lost the middle of the davening, but when you learn it inside, it's just so powerful. I know, I pointed it out to my to some people in my family, I'm like, wow, now I'll think of that, you know? It's, it's very, it's cool, you know where it comes from. Right, 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 right. Um, um, the other, and my other question? Right, so the other question you asked was about the, the uh, Lushan, the concept that's used in Tanakh of when it describes the wonderful time of Shlomo HaMelech, it says everyone was under their geffen, their vine, and under their te'ena, which is their, uh, their fig trees. And that's also a expression that we find with the nevuas of the geula, that when Mashiach will come, every person will be tachas gafno v'tachas te'enaso, which represents a certain level of, I guess, affluence and peace and serenity that there was in the time of Shlomo HaMelech. So, you had asked that when we talk about the coming of Mashiach, are we talking about like a new state of being or a return to an old state of being? So, if I understood the question correctly, something like that. And it's a very good question, very interesting question. And the truth is that um, I, we mentioned that the time of Shlomo HaMelech, the beginning of his reign, is the, is the greatest time in our entire history. The entire history of Kal Yisrael, which we're 33, uh, three, a little more than 3,300 years from Matan Torah, we never had a time as, as wholesome, as beautiful, as complete, and as full as the time of Shlomo HaMelech. Because it's the only time that we had our entire nation united under one king in Eretz Yisrael, under our own independent reign, with the Beis HaMikdash. So really, we had everything. And that was the only time. It's, we're talking about 40 years. That's it. Never before and never after until the coming of Mashiach. And therefore, it, Mashiach's time is compared to the time of Shlomo HaMelech. Now, it's going to be greater, but our only point of reference, so to speak, is the time of Shlomo HaMelech, the only time we can compare it to. Again, after Shlomo, it's, it's downhill. And beginning of that downhill, we're going to start learning tonight already, I think. I, hope, I think we're going to get there, because Kali Yisrael is going to split into two. Um, the second Mesa Mikdash is not even going to be in our own reign, our own independence. We're under the... Uh, the Persians or the Greeks or whatever. I mean, it's it's a time a lot of a lot of strife and then Golos. So Shlomo Malch is considered the time of Shlemos and the time most compared to the time of the coming of Mashiach. Um, I mentioned in the past the, the name Shlomo is connected to the word Shalom, that he's called Shlomo as the Gemara says, because Shalom Hoya Biyamov. There was total peace in his times, um, and the time of Mashiach will be that type of a time, though on a greater level and everything that will be that was then for a, a temporary type of time will be Mashiach's time, a permanent time. But yes, there's definitely a tremendous, tremendous amount of correlation between those two times. And, there, and definitely the time is used as an example, or as a metaphor, or as, a, I guess, our best point of reference for what's going to be when Mashiach will come. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Paratas. 
In the last parak, parakas, we talked about the in the last few parakim we talked about the building of the first base Amikdash. And the, the magnificence of the first Beis HaMikdash, we talked about that Shlomo Melech built the Beis HaMikdash for seven years, and then he built his own home for 13 years. Though, when I was learning again today, I feel like I may have made a mistake. I don't remember. Because it says that Shlomo built the Beis HaMikdash for seven years, and his, home, his own home for 13 years. But those were not in the same time. They were consecutive. And I'm not sure if I said that correctly. There was first he built the Beis HaMikdash for seven years, and then he built his own palace for 13 years. Again, not a big difference, but the way I, I think I said it in the past was that they were both going on at the same time, so I'm correcting that, that it was seven years of building the Beis HaMikdash, and then 13 years of building his own home. Okay, the other thing we learned about last week was the big Hanukkah Sabais. He made a tremendous celebration when the Beis HaMikdash was completed. Uh, we talked about the beautiful tefillah of Shlomo Melech, where he davened for all davening of all time to be accepted through the Beis HaMikdash. And we talked about the tremendous celebration that the entire Jewish people celebrated when the Beis HaMikdash was completed. Um, and in fact, they celebrated for 14 days because there was a seven-day celebration, Chanukah Sabais for the Beis HaMikdash, followed by seven days of Sukkot. We talked about the fact that that year they did not fast on Yom Kippur because they were, that was part of the seven days of celebration. And then on Shmini Atzeres, was the last day, and then Shlomo sent everyone home. And that's where last Perak finished. That was the end of Perak Tess. So here we begin Perak Tess, and I'm reading inside. Those of you who have a safer, follow along. Um, when Shlomo completed to build the Bahas of Hashem and the house of the king and all the beautiful things that he built. Hashem appears to Shlomo a second time. <coughs> Typically, when Hashem gave instruction to Shlomo, it was through Nevi'im, it was through prophets. Twice does Hashem explicitly appear to Shlomo. One time, we read about in the past, that's when Hashem offered Shlomo to ask whatever he wanted. That's when Shlomo asked for wisdom, and that was granted to him. Now is the second time that Hashem appears to Shlomo. To Shlomo. Pasuk Beis, Just like he appeared to him once before in Givon, Hashem appeared to him a second time, and basically it was to tell him that yes, your tefillahs were accepted. As it says in Gimel, I listened, I heard your, your tefillah, your supplication, that you daven before me, and yes, I have, I have consecrated, I've made holy this home that you built for me, that this will be my home forever. And here we have another very powerful and beautiful pasuk, V'haya enai my heart and my eyes, says Hashem, will be in this home forever. <clears throat> and we talked about the fact that even though today, of course, the Beis HaMikdash is still in a state of destruction, still, as Chazal tell us, the Shekhinah never left the Harabayis, the place of the Beis HaMikdash. That place was consecrated forever, whether there is or isn't a Beis HaMikdash standing there at the time. Which is the reason why halachically, um, if, if one now were to have the, uh, would be inspired to build an altar in their ba- backyard and bring a carbon to Hashem, that would be 100% forbidden. Because once the Beis HaMikdash was chosen, one cannot make a private altar anywhere else. Before the Beis HaMikdash was built, they could, as we saw numerous times. But once the Beis HaMikdash is the place, that's it. That's the place for Hashem um, and forever. And that's what Hashem says here, my eyes, my heart will be there forever. And then Hashem goes on to say that as long as you go in my ways, in the ways of David, your father, with a complete heart, and you follow my mitzvahs and my chukim, so I will see to it, I will make that your, your throne, the throne of your malchus, of your kingdom, will be forever, just like I told David, your father, that there will never, that always there will be a person from his family on Kisei Yisrael, on the throne of Israel. However, Hashem says, but if you will stray from me, if you or your children will stray and not go after the mitzvahs, and you'll go after other deities. 
So then I will, I will, I will remove the people from the land. I will, uh, I will cut them off from the land. And this home that I have consecrated, um, I will destroy. And the Kalah Yisrael will be um, a laughingstock in the world. And this great home that now is the highest place in the world will be empty, will be desolate. It's amazing. Hashem is saying this right when it's built. And we know it's going to stand for 410 years, but ultimately all of this is going to be fulfilled. Of course, the Churban. And Hashem says this right at the beginning. He says that the, the Beis HaMikdash and my Divine Presence is going to be dependent on following the ways of Hashem. And people will say, well, like, what happened here? And they'll say, because Pasuk Tess, the nations will say, it's because the Jewish people didn't follow the ways of Hashem, who took them out of Mitzrayim. They went in the, in the ways of other gods. They bowed to them, they served them, and therefore Hashem brought this evil to them. This is the end of that divine um, appearance of Hashem to Shlomo. So it's, it's a, on the one hand, it's very beautiful. He says, I've, I've accepted it, and I've, I've consecrated this home, and my eyes and heart is going to be there forever. At the same time, it comes along with a warning. It says, you're going to be here forever, and your malchus will be forever, as long as you go in the ways of Hashem. And if not, there will be the churban, there will be destruction, um, as, as we know the end of the story. And that finishes in Pasuk Tess. Pasuk Yud. After 20 years of building, right? Because we have the, uh, the seven years that he built uh, Hashem's house and the 13 years of his own. And remember that there was a big helper in this building, which was Hiram, the king of Tsar, an adjacent king. So the Pasuk says, the Pasuk talks about that the Hiram had helped with all the wood and, with the, and different types of woods and gold and so on. So at this point, the uh, King Shlomo gives Hiram 20 cities in the land of Golil. It's an interesting thing. He gives them like as a gift, 20 cities. But the Pasuk says that Hiram wasn't happy with the cities. It's not clear why the Pasuk tells us that. It says that Hiram looked at the cities and says, eh, I'm, you know, thank you, but uh, I'm not impressed. And they named, the, they named those cities Kovul, which is a, a sign of something insignificant. But it doesn't go further from there. It just says that Shlomo granted him these 20 cities, and he didn't really, really accept them happily. Um, to be honest, I was looking. I didn't find something that I could share that uh, explained the depth of that gift that wasn't accepted well. That's just what the Navi says. Um, but still, they, they definitely remained uh, that they remained uh, friends. And in fact, right afterward, you have in Pasuk Yudalit that Hiram sent a gift to Shlomo Amalekh. And then the Pasuk discusses that um, different, that what Shlomo had um, used servants or, uh, to, for, for the building of the, of the house of Hashem. And he talks about um, different things that Shlomo had built throughout the time. It says, it goes off and tells us that Paro, the king of Mitzrayim, um, had destroyed a certain city called Gazer, but and he gave it to his daughter. Now, the, tonight we're going we're gonna to get into the fact we know that to Shlomo's undoing, if you will, was his marriages. Um, and his Shlomo had many wives, numerous wives, as we'll see. But the one that seems to be most, uh, maybe most beloved to him, was the daughter of Paro, Par, uh, the daughter of um, the daughter of Paro from Mitzrayim. Shlomo got married to a number of princesses from to, from different nations, neighboring nations. Um, we talked about it in the past. He had them convert to Yiddishkeit, and they did convert to Yiddishkeit. There's question as to the uh, their sincerity, their level of sincerity was questionable. But they, they converted. Um, but ultimately, as again, we'll, we'll get to that soon, that this was uh, something that was ultimately held against Shlomo by Hashem, as we'll see. But here it just says that Paro gave his daughter a, a cities that she brought into the marriage with Shlomo HaMelech. So these were also Shlomo cities. And he talks about some of these cities that Shlomo built up. 
And he talks also about, again, the servants of Shlomo, Pasuk um, Chaf, which is the, the people that were left over from the initial seven nations of Eretz Yisrael that the Jews were supposed to conquer and never fully conquered. From the Amori, Chiti, Prizi, Chivi, Ve'ivusi, all of these that were left over were servants to Shlomo and servants that were involved in ultimately the building of the Beis Hamikdash and building the palace of Shlomo. They were the ones who did the sort of menial work. These were the, the servants from the other nations. Um, the Jewish people were more involved in, in the, being the soldiers for Shlomo Melech and the princes and those involved in carrying the bringing, we talked about in the past, bringing the materials from other countries for the Beis Hamikdash. Um, and the Pasuk just goes on to talk about the, the greatness and the wealth of Shlomo's kingdom. It talks about he had 550 general uh, foremen. Um, and then it says in Pasuk Havdalet that this daughter of Paro, he, um, she left Ir David to her own home that Shlomo built for her. And what that means <clears throat> is that for the 20 years that Shlomo was building so Bas Paro, again his, his wife, Bas Paro, the daughter of Paro, lived in the house of his father, David Amel, who had passed away already. But now that Shlomo already finished, he finished with the Beis Hamikdash and he finished with his own palace, so he built Bas Paro a home, I guess a palatial home. And that's when she left the house of David. Um, and he built it in a place called the Milo, which is going to become important in the continuation of the story. And I'll just tell, I'll say it quickly now. The Milo was an open place in Yerushalayim that David HaMelech had left open, and that was a place where people would gather, especially when they would come for the Shalash Regal, and when they come for Shavua Sukkis Pesach for Yom Tev, and there was thousands or tens of thousands of people in Yerushalayim. So there was this Milo, which I guess was like a, a giant open stadium that David HaMelech had left in Yerushalayim. But it's at this point that Shlomo wants to build something for Paro's daughter, and he encloses and builds this Milo, this, again, open area. He makes it a palace for Bas Paro which we're going to see is again something that people are going to complain against Shlomo. That the area that your father David left open for Klal Yisrael to gather, here you're building it for Bas Paro. Again, here we don't get into it. The, the Navi just tells us that he, that he built it for her. Um, and she left and she went there. And the Pasuk goes on to say that every year, uh, three times a year on the Yom Tevim, Shlomo would sponsor all of the animals for the Beis Amikdash, all the Karbanas, Olos, or Shlomim, on the Mizbeach that Hashem built, and he would bring... Um, and the and and and, um, and he was able to, again because of his wealth he was able to sponsor all the korbanos for Yom Tov and for everyone. Pasuk uh, Chavav and Chavzayin and Chavches talks about boats that Shlomo Melech had, tremendous boats and ships, and they would go. Um, they would they would travel to different places, uh, Ophira, where there was tremendous amount of gold, and they would constantly be bringing gold from there. Um, and that's where, the, that's where the chapter finishes. So basically we're just describing the wealth and the greatness of the kingdom and the buildings and the gold and the silver. All of this is being described here after Shlomo Melech builds the Beis HaMikdash. That's in short, Perik Tess. Perik Yud. Perik Yud introduces us to a, another famous personality of the story of Shlomo and that is the Queen of Sheva, Malkas Shva, Malka Sheva. Um, again, I, I, I'm not trying to be repetitive, but what was unique about Shlomo is that it's the only time that we have a Jewish king that the nations throughout the world are coming to him. They're coming to him. Um, in fact, it says, his brother Chassidus talks a lot about that, that Shlomo's time represents a time when the Kedusha was so powerful that we didn't have to go out to the world to, so to speak, be Mekar of them. The world was drawn. The world was drawn to Yerushalayim, the world was drawn to Besamikdash, 
And the world is run to Shlomo, because Shlomo was a phenomenon in his time. We talked about his chachma, his wisdom, was beyond any wisdom of anyone alive at the time. Um, and the word was out there, and, and kings and queens, and, and everyone would come to see Shlomo. And one of these people was Malkas Shva, the, the queen of Sheva, Shva, Sheva. And according to what Chazal tell us, she was a brilliant, brilliant person, a great philosopher, a great thinker, and she heard about Shlomo's wisdom, and she came to see is it is it is it like the you know is it, is it like they say is it uh, is it real news or is it fake news? So Malka Shva in the beginning of Perikas Shoma says Shema Shlomo Hashem. She hears about the greatness of Shlomo and how how Shlomo is this godly man, and she came to test him. She came to test him with riddles. So the pasuk says the pasuk doesn't tell us any of the riddles that she asked. I mean there are I believe midrashim that say different things that she asked. The pasuk doesn't talk about it. Pasuk just says that she came with various questions and various riddles. She prepared for the meeting. She was going to really put him through the test. She came to Yerushalayim with tremendous fanfare, with tremendous... She was a very wealthy queen herself, and she came with uh, camels, and they were carrying uh, uh, fragrances and spices and gold and, and, and jewels and diamonds, and she came to Shlomo, and she got... And she talked, it says she talked to Shlomo, whatever was on her heart. And anything she asked him, Shlomo answered with tremendous wisdom. Pasig Gimel, Vayagid la Shlomo is called Vareha. Anything that she asked, Shlomo said, There was nothing hidden from him. Whatever she asked, whatever, everything Shlomo told her. She saw the wisdom of Shlomo. She saw the, the, the house, the Besamikdash. She saw the foods at his table. She saw the way that the people dressed. She saw the way the people acted. She saw the Karbanas brought in the Besamikdash. And it says, the, the words of the Pasig is, she it, she didn't have breath anymore. She was she was so stunned, so taken by everything she saw. Very unusual terminology in the Torah. ruach. She had no breath. That she was she was stunned by what she saw. She said to the king, It's true. It's true what I heard in my land uh, about your words, about your chachma. I didn't believe. I didn't believe what I was hearing until I came here and saw it with my own eyes. And now I understand that I didn't even hear half of the greatness, of the wisdom and the goodness that you have here. And the way your servants are standing before you and the way everyone listens to your chachma. And she says, Yehi Hashem Elokecha Baruch. He says, Hashem should be blessed that he has desired in you to give you to be the one sitting on the throne of Israel. And with, his, and with Hashem's love to his nation forever, he made you their melech, to do for them mishpat and tzedakah, kindness and judgment. And she gave tremendous gifts to Shlomo. Mea ve'esrim kikar zahav, 120 kikar, that's a measurement of gold, and, and, and spices, and, and you know, it says she came with all this wealth, and she gave them to Shlomo HaMelech. Plus it goes on that the, the, again, that the wealth kept on growing because the boats that, Shlo, that Shlomo had created were bringing in gold from the Ophir and different types of woods. And, Hash, and Shlomo used them all for the house of Hashem. He used the woods for Hashem. He kept on adding. He kept on beautifying. He kept on adding with the instruments. And then the king, and before the queen of Shiva left, the king gave her also gifts. Um, and she went back to her city, and that's in Pasuk Yud Gimel. Yud Gimel. According, according to certain Madrashim, the Pasuk doesn't make any mention of it whatsoever, but according to some Madrashim, there was also an, int an intimate relation between Shlomo and this uh, queen, 
though, again, in the Pasuk, there's no mention of it. There's a Medrash that says that there was, and out of that came Nebuchadnezzar, ultimately, who's going to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. And that's how the how things turned around negatively. Again, in Pshat, and in the basic Mepharshim, we don't have that Rashi, the Mitzudis, but there is such a Medrash as well. Okay, the Pasuk goes on in Yudalid. Again, just Yudalid, Tezvav, Tezayin, Yudzayin, is just descriptions of wealth. Descriptions of wealth, descriptions of the Kalim, the various vessels. It says that the armor that Shlomo had for many of his soldiers was made out of gold. There was so much gold that the armor, which is normally made out of metals, were made out of gold. And then a Pasuk Yudchas, it talks about the famous throne of Shlomo HaMelech. Perhaps you've heard about the throne and the and there's all, this, all types of miracles that are talked about that throne. But again, most of that is Medrashim. But the Pasuk just talks about the magnificence of the throne. And it had many steps to it and each step was adorned by lions and eagles and, and just um, just an amazing an amazing golden throne. Again, the Medrashim talk about that those lions had spirit, had like divine powers and they were able to pick them up from step to step. These are, again, the Medrashim that are behind the Psukim. But even without the Medrashim, it just talks about the beauty of the palace and then the, and then the throne and then the vessels that he uh, would eat and drink with. Um, and the Pasuk just, again, all the, these Psukim just go on and on with that. The Pasuk Hafalov talks about the goblets, um, was made of the gold, and it says that silver wasn't even a thing anymore. In Pesach of Halif, it says that everyone was, was just, it was just a time of gold. Silver, ain kesef lo nechshav That kesef, silver, wasn't counted for anything. It wasn't important anymore because there was so much gold. In Hasidus, his whole talk about this, that kesef is ahava and zahav is yira, and they were at such a high level of yira that even ava wasn't considered important. It, it explains the whole thing in, in ruchnius and spiritual levels as well. Um, Pesach of Gimel, uh, Shlomo had become the greatest king in the world from all the other nations all the other kings la'osher and wealth la'chachma and wisdom all the world was, would, would seek out Shlomo's counsel to listen to his chachma and that Hashem had, had granted him and everyone would bring in, and all the nations would bring gifts and they would bring silver and they would bring gold and they would bring garments um, every year. Pasuk um, Chavav, Shlomo added, with all this wealth, he added in his horses and his wagons and his chariots and talks there about the thousands that he had, thousand and uh, fourteen hundred different types of wagons and uh, another twelve thousand different types and where he kept them. Um, Shlomo kept the monies in Yerushalayim and the money there, silver was like stones, and where he kept the, all the wood that was gathered and the fancy woods, and the horses that they would get, and ultimately they got their best horses from Mitzrayim, um, which we're going to see shortly is a problem as well, and that's how the Perik finishes. That's how Perik Aleph finishes. So really Perik Aleph is just a continued description of the, of the magnificent greatness of that of Shlomo HaMalach. Um, again, he's, 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 he's sought out in the whole world. He's respected in the whole world. Kings and queens came to him. Um, it, was the, it, was the, it was the epitome. The epitome, the Jewish king, the, the wise king, the, uh, with tremendous Yerushalayim, building the base of Mikdash, and now is sitting on the, on the, on the, really the throne, of, throne of glory for all of the world. And it goes back to what we said earlier, that reminiscent of what will be when Mashiach will come. It's really the, the only time in our history, if you want to point to a time that's reminiscent of what it's going to look like when Mashiach will come, that is that time where you have this. I'm not being heard? Am I being heard? 
Yeah, just for a minute, you like for a few seconds. Oh, okay, fine, fine, fine. Thank you for pointing it out. So um, that's it. That's this this time of this time of tremendous lameness. and that's the end of Perik Yud, the end of chapter ten. However. <laughs> there's always there's always the however because Mashiach is not here yet, so there's there's always the however. And really, chapter Yud Aleph is when things really start going downhill. That's where it does. So listen, it'll be it'll be nice to all, to only learn the happy parts, but this is a, we have to learn, we have to learn the whole story. Okay, what was Shlomo's undoing? And as we've already mentioned, Shlomo's undoing was his relationship with women with wives. Why did Shlomo do it? There's so many different explanations, so many different ideas. There's no question, Shlomo was a tremendously great person. Um, there's no question, and the Gemara talks about it, that his kavana was good. His kavana, his intentions, he thought he was being makar of people. He thought this is the way he's going to bring the whole world together by, by bringing in more people into his kingdom. In the olden days, that was the way you really solidified kingdoms and solidified treaties between kingdoms was by marrying other queens or princesses from other kingdoms and solidifying them. In Shlomo's mind, not only was he solidifying the kingdom of the Jewish people, they were being Megayer. If they were being Megayer, that means they were accepting Torah, they were accepting mitzvahs. In Shlomo's mind, he was performing a tremendous deed by bringing as many, many people and connecting to as many, many people in this way. There's one problem. The problem is Hashem said not to do that. In the Torah, there's two mitzvahs for a king. There's a number of mitzvahs for a king. But two of those mitzvahs, Shlomo transgressed. And the two mitzvahs are that a king should not have many wives. Explicitly, that mitzvah. I mean, we know that halachically, you know, today, obviously, today we have for, for more than a thousand years that the rabbinic decree that a man can only marry one woman. But uh, from the from the din Torah, not Torah, a man could marry more than one woman. Yaakov Avinu had four wives. But when it comes to a king, it says specifically not a king. That a king layar nashim and. Another thing is that a king, it says, you shouldn't have tremendous amount. The wealth should also be contained. Both wives and wealth are specifically a mitzvah for a king. And Shlomo HaMelech transgressed both. Why did he transgress them? How did he transgress them? He knew the Torah. We're talking about the wisest man. How, how did he transgress those mitzvahs? And here Chazal say a fascinating thing. And that is, specifically these two mitzvahs, Hashem gives a reason for. In the Torah, most mitzvahs of the Torah doesn't say a reason. It doesn't say, it just says, you know, don't do this or do this. You know, the Torah says, don't eat trafe. It doesn't say a reason. The Torah says, don't wear shotness. It doesn't say a reason. When it says that a king shouldn't marry uh, many women, it says, they should not remove his heart from serving Hashem. That's what it says. He'll marry too many women, he'll be too involved with his wives, and they'll so slowly, he'll be more involved in his wives than in serving Hashem. When, it can't, when the Torah says that a king should not have many horses, it says, so he shouldn't bring the nation back to Mitzrayim. Says the Gemara, the Shlomo Melech said like this, if Hashem gave reasons for the mitzvahs, so that means that those mitzvahs are dependent on those reasons. Now, I'm not a regular king. I'm the wisest person in the world. And that's true, he was. He said, if these reasons don't apply to me, I'm wise enough, I'm great enough, I'm smart enough, I'm holy enough, that I can have all, the, all these wives, L'shem Shemayim, of course, and they're not going to hurt me. The Gemara says that this is the reason why typically Hashem doesn't give us reasons for mitzvahs. Because when we know the reasons, that's when we start making calculations. Ah, it's because of that reason. I have a way around that reason. The Gemara uses Shlomo Malach as an example of the problem of, of reasons. 
that when Hashem gives reasons for mitzvah, suddenly we start thinking, oh, Hashem gave me reasons, so let me figure this out. Maybe that reason doesn't apply to me. And that's exactly what Shlomo Melech did. Shlomo Melech figured out, and logically speaking, he may have made a, you know, made a, made a, a, a right assumption, which is he's so wise he can handle it. It's not going to bother him. He's, he's smart enough to be able to handle any type of, type of temptation. But he went against the mitzvahs of Hashem. And this is, this is where, this is again, Perakid Alf is where it begins. So let's read it, let's uh, start and say. The king Shlomo loved many, many women, even from different nations. Ves Bas Paro, the daughter of Paro, who was the, the most significant amongst them. Moavios, Ammonios, Edomios, Sidonios, Chitios, from all the different nations. From all those nations that Hashem said not to marry them. Because they might move, they might uh, straight, make your heart straight. And Shlomo HaMelech connected to them. And, and here we have, the Pasuk says, he had 700 Pilagshim. Pilagshim is a, not, a, not a married woman, but only had relations with. And 300, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's 700 wives and 300 Pilagshim. And ultimately, this affected his heart. And the Pasuk says, Pasuk Dalit, as he was getting older, Leiziknas Shlomo, so his wives moved his heart. And these wives, so many of them were from non, were from pagan origin. So they, they went through a gear, they went through a conversion, but they, they you know, they, they reneged on it. After all, you have to understand, it was a pretty, um, it was pretty in style to be married to Shlomo HaMelech, the wealthiest person in the world, the greatest person, the greatest king in the world. So they converted, but they had ulterior motives, because this was the ultimate prestige you can get. And here, from here, we also learn halachas about conversion even nowadays. When a convert, a prospective convert, we want to find out, is it, are there ulterior motives? Are they doing it L'Shem Shemayim? So in this case, these, many of these women who came from pagan and other nations converted, but they didn't really, weren't wholehearted. And therefore later, many years later, they started going back to their idolatrous ways. So and here the Pasuk says, very shockingly, we'll see in a moment what it means. It says that Shlomo followed their paths and he followed the different idols that they served. And Vayas Shlomo Hashem, and he did bad in the eyes of Hashem, and he did not go after the ways of his father David. So, a simple reading of the pasuk would make it sound like Shlomo became idolatrous as he got older. That's the simple meaning of the words. Vayelo Shlomo But the Gemara is very clear that that's not what happened. In fact, he says in the next pasuk, Shlomo didn't follow in the footsteps of David. Well, if he was idolatrous, that's a lot more than just not following in David's footsteps. Not following David's footsteps make it sound he wasn't a, as great a tzaddik as David, but not even David is So the, the Gemara explains that Shlomo never served idols. Chas v'shalom, actually, the Gemara says. He considered a tzaddik till his last day. But being that he had all these wives, and they did, and he didn't throw them out. He didn't, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't stop them. So their idolatrous behavior was attributed to him. So when the terrorist says Shlomo was idolatrous, it means that he had idolatry going on in his home. And ultimately, at this point, he's, he's old, old he's, he's, not, he's not stopping it, even if he could stop it even. But this, therefore, all of their evils were, are considered as if he is responsible for it, bringing idolatry into the house of Hashem, into Yerushalayim. And so he's called idolatrous, though it's not that he himself served the idols. Again, it's an important point to understand. The Gemara is very clear about that, very strong about that. And because and the Pasuk goes on, Pasuk Zion, it says that he built um, altars to Kemosh, which is a different uh, idol, uh, which is the idol of Moab, and to the Molech. Um, and, and so he did for all his wives. 
that would bring you know sacrifices to their to their different deities. So and again, I, I repeat that the pasuk sounds like he built those those altars, and Chazal explained he didn't build them, but he didn't stop them from being built. Therefore, in pasuk Tas, Hashem became upset with Shlomo because his heart was moved from the ways of the perfect path of Hashem, who Hashem had appeared to him two times, and Hashem had commanded him that he to make sure that his heart should remain full with Hashem. And Shlomo did not guard, did not heed what he was commanded. And therefore, in Pasuk Aleph, Hashem tells Shlomo, through a Navi, not, not personally, tells him through a Navi, because this happened, because you didn't regard the covenant, and you didn't follow the chukim that I said, he says, the kingdom will be torn away from you and given to a servant of yours. However, says Hashem, it will not happen in your days. It will not happen while you're alive, in the honor of your father, David, but it will happen in the time of your son. So interesting. David Melech wanted to build a base of Mikdash. Hashem said, yes, but not in your life. Your son will do it. Shlomo Melech is being punished, but Hashem says, but it's not going to be in your life, in honor of your father, David. But in the time of your son, the Malchus will be torn from you. However, says Hashem, not the entire Malchus. That you, there's some of it. Some of the kingdom will still remain with you. One Shevet will remain with you because of my promise to David, your father. In other words, because I told David there's always going to be Malchus in the house of David, so most of the kingdom will be taken away from the family of David and Shlomo, but one Shevet will remain with you. As we're going to see, it's really two Shvatim. One Shevet is the Shevet of Yehuda, but uh, Binyamin was always like part of uh, part of Yehuda. They worked work together. So ultimately, it's Binyamin and Yehuda they are going to stay under the kingdom of Shlomo. And the Pasuk says that at this point, Shlomo is still alive, obviously, but already trouble starts. And there's a uh, king, a, a negative king, uh, an evil king, Hadad HaEdomi, who came from the Edomites, um, that he rose up now as a king in Edom, and he became a, um, um, a like an enemy of the Jewish people, someone who harassed the Jewish people. Uh, the, the, the Pasuk talks about the history of this Hadad, that you know, way back when, um, when David David had a war with Edom, um, and for six months Yoav, David's general, was fighting Edom, but this Hadad had escaped. <clears throat> he had escaped with some of the people of Edom, and they had went down to Mitzrayim. Hadad was then still a child. Um, but those people ultimately gathered together. Um, this Hadad married into the family of the kingdom of Mitzrayim. He married a sister-in-law to the king of Mitzrayim. He had a uh, he had a child, uh, Gnuvas, and he grew up there in the kingdom of Mitzrayim. But at, at this point, again, I'm going through this quickly, the the Pesachimah the is telling us the history of this Hadad, who's now the king of Edom. But ultimately, after David Melech passes away, this Hadad comes back to Edom, and he um, becomes the first king that now is not accepting of Shlomo Melech. And until, until Shlomo sins, Shlomo is the accepted king by everyone. At this point now, there's going to start being kings that are oppressors to the Jewish people. So this Hadad of Edom is one of them. In Pasuk Chav Gimel, we learn about another one. And that's a person named Rizon, um, Rizon ben El Yada. Um, he had run away from the king of Tzobah at some point, And he gathered a group of people. And he now is a, um, he now is a leader also that's an oppressor for the Jewish people. So again, we see how things are, so to speak, unraveling. Now there's already two kings that are, that are raising up that are oppressors to the Jewish people. But these are not going to be the ultimate problem. Where is the ultimate problem going to come from? And that's what we learn over here in the last part of the Perik. Who's going to become the, um, the first 
king of the ten tribes, when, when there's going to be the split, after Shlomo is going to pass away, is a person who is very famous or infinite, infamous in Jewish history, and that's Yeravam ben Nevat. Um, we're going to hear a lot about Yeravam, but we meet him now in Pasuk Chavav. Yeravam ben Nevat um, comes from a place called Shreda. His mother is Tzrua. Um, and he is an Eved of Shlomo. He's a servant of Shlomo. But he rebels. yad This is the first time we have rebellion in the time of Shlomo HaMelech. And the man is named Yeravam ben Nevat. Now, but a piece of, a piece of uh, history and something that I believe I mentioned. Yeravam is not the first one in his family line who's rebellious. He's a rebel, the son of a rebel. His father had rebelled in David HaMelech. That was the story of Sheva ben Bichri. Um, going back, I don't know, maybe two months, three months, um, after the war of David and Avshalom, his son. After Avshalom died and that rebellion was quashed, Sheva ben Bichri rose and he said, let's not go back to David. He also tried to get the Jewish people to go against David. And that was a short-lived rebellion. Ultimately, he um, he ended up in a city and Yoav surrounded the city. Again, this is things we learned in the past. And Yoav was going to destroy the entire city, but there was an old woman. And that woman, according to Medrash, was Sarah, the daughter of Usher. And she's the one who was able to have this Sheva ben Bichri handed over to Yoav's servants and they put him to death. And that was the end of that rebellion. That Yoav ben Bichri is the father, Sheva ben Bichri, that is, is the father of Yeravam ben Nevat. So, uh, I guess rebelliousness flows in this uh, in his blood. So this Yeravam, back to the Pasuk here, Vayorim Yad B'Melech, he raises his hand, he rebels against the king. And this is what happened. What does Yeravam do? Yeravam gets, gathers people and he says, Shlomo Melech, this is such a bad king. You know what he did? And going back to what we learned earlier tonight, he built the Milo, that place that David Melech had left open in Yerushalayim. And David Malachi left it open for the Jewish people to gather, and there was a gathering place for Klal Yisrael. And now this king Shlomo, he built it for his Egyptian wife, for the Bas Paro. This was Yoav's, uh, you know, clarion call. This is when he began his rebellion against Shlomo Hamelach. The pasuk says in pasuk Chavches that this Yeravam was a gibor chayil. He was a mighty warrior, and in fact, Shlomo had seen him when he was a child, and Shlomo had actually appointed him as a tax collector. This, this Yoav ben, uh, not Yoav, I'm sorry, Yeravam ben Nevat was a tax collector for the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And now he is rebelling against Shlomo HaMelech. And as he rebels against Shlomo HaMelech, and here's another part of the interesting part of the story, this Yeravam, although we're going to see later, he's a tremendous troublemaker, he's going to become a big Ovid but he is initially at least a tremendous Talmud Chacham, tremendous Torah scholar. And the Pasuk says in Pasuk Chavtes, that one of these days Yeravam leaves Yerushalayim and who does he meet outside of Yerushalayim? Achia HaShiloni Achia HaShiloni I don't think we've met yet in the Navi but now we meet him and we're going to meet him uh, a number of times Achia is a tremendous Navi he's perhaps very famous for being the teacher of Eliyahu HaNavi and uh, much later in Hasidic tradition he's the one who appeared to the Baal Shem Tov to teach the Baal Shem Tov Torah so Achia HaShiloni makes his first appearance here and he meets Yeravam in the fields. And it says the, they cover themselves with a garment. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, chazal about this, that they study Torah together on a very high level. Achia takes this garment and he rips it into 12 parts. And he says, Yeravam, take 10 parts of this garment because Hashem said, I'm going to be ripping the kingdom from Shlomo. 
and I'm going to be giving you the kingdom of ten Shvatim of ten tribes. One tribe is going to be left for Shlomo's descendants, for his servant in the, in the memory of David HaMelech, and for the sake of Yerushalayim. But because Shlomo has left my ways and he has bowed to the other idols, so therefore um, it was decreed that the kingdom is going to be taken from his hands, however, not during his lifetime, as we already learned, but after he passes away, the Melucha will be taken from him, and only one tribe will remain by Shlomo's son, and the rest, as he says in Pasuk Lamazayin, Va'oscha ekach you, Yeravamai, will take umalachta, and you will be the king over the vast majority of the Jewish people. You'll be a Melech al Yisrael. And, again, always with the same admonition, if you will listen to the ways of Hashem and you will go in His ways and do what's just in, his, in, in Hashem's eyes, to follow the chukim and the mitzvahs as David did, so Hashem will be with you and you will be a biased nema. And David's, and David's family will be afflicted through this. But not forever. Ultimately, the melucha is going to come back to David. Very important. Even when the melucha is being taken away from David's descendants, Hashem says it's never going to be lost to David. Ultimately, it's going to come back around. David, Melech, Yisrael, Chai, Vekayim. Says the Pasuk in Pasuk Mem, Shlomo hears about this, that Yeruvam rebelled on him. Shlomo wants to have Yeruvam put to death as a, as a rebel, or someone rebelling in the king. And Yeruvam escapes to Mitzrayim. Yeruvam escapes to Mitzrayim. So he's out of the picture now until Shlomo is going to pass away. Pasuk says in Mem Aleph that all of the other things about Shlomo and all this tremendous Chachma are written on the books that were written about Shlomo HaMelech. And the days that Shlomo was the king of, of, of Yerushalayim or the Jewish people was 40 years. Shlomo HaMelech was a Melech for 40 years, just like David HaMelech. Also the same 40 years and just like Moshe Rabbeinu, 40 years is a big number by Tzadikim. Um, very indicative of many things. But here we have Shlomo HaMelech, the second great king, was also 40 years. Pasik Mem Shlomo Ultimately, after these 40 years, Shlomo passes away and he's buried together with his father David and his son Rechavam becomes the automatic king after his father Shlomo HaMelech. And that's how Perik Yud Allah finishes with the death of Shlomo HaMelech. So again, in Shlomo HaMelech's life, nothing terrible happened. Um, the kingdom did not was not taken from him, although the promise... Uh, that it was going to be taken was already given, and the beginning of it uh, started. The one, the uh, the ultimate one, who's going to lead that rebellion against uh, Rechavam is already found and anointed. In fact, not anointed, but told by um, by Achia Shiloni that he's going to be the next king, and that's where Perak Yudala finishes, and Perak Yudbeis is going to begin with well, uh, Mr. next week, and that is ready in the life after Shlomo Melech in the life of the son Rechavam, and we'll see how that split is going to. Um, make it's uh, it's going to happen, and uh, continue from there in the continuing program.